You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Good start to your week. I hope everybody is having a good Monday up until this point. And if you're not, I hope we're making your Monday better. Levi, how you doing today, my man? Doing good, doing good. Still fighting against the pollen that has just been ravaging my life up to this point. Every day, Levi gives me the pollen update. It's Yeah, the pollen update is me down bad in 4K, getting ratioed in real life by pollen. <laughs> Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's what gets you through to On the Line, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. A lot to talk about today. We're obviously going to talk about yesterday evening's NCAA tournament action that has propelled us to the Elite Eight. We've also got some other interesting SEC football news. Vanderbilt has tried to join the big boys when you're talking about facilities. We'll talk about that coming up. We'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on with us in about 30 minutes to talk about that NCAA tournament game as well. So we got a packed hour number one here for you and then hour number two as well. We'll reseed some NCAA tournament teams. We got a lot going on with today's show but first let's start with that tournament game in the sweet 16 88 78 loss in overtime for alabama to ucla this alabama team falling in the ncaa tournament the tournament run coming to an end having not have played a single digit seed in their entire run losing short of where many people would have expected a two seed to lose levi thoughts on last night's ball game i got one thought it's free throws man it's free throws that there's a reason everybody says free throws will win you and lose your your ball games. You look at it last night, clutch free throws down the stretch. They were missing them. I think, what were they, 12 for 25, if I'm just going off the top of my head? 11 for 25. 11, worse 11, than that. 11 for 25. That's, as a two seed in the NCAA tournament, as a conference champion, you can't do that and expect to win. Now, Alabama team was talented. They hung in there. They fought back the shot at the end by Alex Reese to put them in a position to win in overtime despite... Foul up three, man. I'm a believer now. If I wasn't before then, foul up three. Well, Mick Cronin is also a believer that... Supposedly. If you were were listening to the broadcast, they made it very clear that Mick Cronin will foul in this situation, but uh, I didn't didn't see them attempting to foul in that situation before the shot came up, but... And they had him trapped at half court? I don't get that. They had him trapped at half court where they had a good opportunity to get the foul, put a guy at the free throw line where he's only going to shoot two when he needs three points to tie the game. Math might not be the best at it, but I, I can tell you that three is better than two. So, yeah, I mean, but again, props to Alabama for finding a way to put themselves in a position in overtime. I thought they were going to win it after that shot because I thought in my head, there's no way that UCLA has any momentum right now. It's all shifted towards Alabama. But then they came out and played lights out in overtime. But Man, it was 61-60 to 60, Alabama. 
late in the ball game I turned to my dad who I was watching the game with and I said I, I do not trust a Mick Cronin team here to get another field goal in the last minute of this ball game and yet they still found a way I and I do have to be I do have to be brutally honest that was a charge on the last UCLA the, the shot that put them up what 62 to 61 there was a charge where uh, I think it's Tiger Campbell's driving in and he pass he dis- dishes it off to the center the big man whichever guy that was and Herb Jones took the charge after the pass was delivered. Did not get called. I don't know how that impacts the game, but in that situation... They it, let him play, though, man. But they really I, did. There was a lot of physicality in the paint that went both ways. I was getting frustrated at times with the officiating because I didn't understand why some whistles were getting called and why others yes. were not. But at the end of the day, you look at the fouls, 21 on UCLA, 23 on Alabama. It was evenly called. I wouldn't necessarily say that the officiating was consistently called. They let these two squads play. They were banging around in the paint. And I like it when they let them play, but the whole like charge dilemma that it, it goes greater than this game, and that's what kills me, is because you teach, especially as a coach, you teach your players to set up in that instance because you don't... like When a point guard or anybody who's driving to the lane and they're driving with reckless abandonment, and you've taught your players to set up a charge and put your team in a good position, and then you don't get rewarded for it. A charge is the most selfless play in basketball because you are pretty much foregoing defense and your body because you're going to take a shot and you're going to get knocked onto the deck. And then the offense gets the benefit of the the doubt most of the time. Yeah, and then the offense got the benefit of the doubt. And it's just teaching you, it's kind of like reaffirming and like conditioning you to be like, well, why do I even do this? If it's not going to get called for me, why did I even set up and do the smart play? Herb Jones was in position to do the smart play, and he did. He just didn't get rewarded for it, and I—that's what crushes me. But you can also counterpoint. But he, I don't want to ruin talking about a great ball game. Oh no, it was by discussing great, officiating or a missed call here and there. You know, I'm going to call out officiating when it's bad, and I think that was egregiously bad at that situation. Game's on the line, and you just straight up said, "Look, you made the right play, but I don't care." And I think, and I like, I think that's bad. Like, I, I just think that that is abysmally bad. I know a lot of people will agree with me on that. The discrepancy in free throws here. Both teams shot 25 free throws. UCLA was plus nine in that category because they went 20 for 25 from the free throw line. If people want to say that Alabama lost by free throws, that's fine. They lost by 10 and they were minus nine in the free throw category. So it would have been a lot closer. You can't say that Alabama's going to go 100% from the free throw line. Now, you could say that they could be better than 80%. They could have done better than UCLA. But 80% is above average. That's not above average. Excuse me. Let me critique that. Most teams in college basketball are shooting about, if you're on the high end, if you're in the upper tier, the elite class of free throw shooters in the country, you're shooting about 77 to 79% at the charity stripe. UCLA shot above that threshold in college basketball so I think it's fair if you want to say Alabama made nine more free throws the game looks a little bit different maybe it does look different but they did lose by 10 and there were minus nine in the free throws so I don't think that that tells the entire story either Alabama didn't necessarily go out and win this game and I'm not disagreeing with you I'm saying this out there to the critics Alabama did not necessarily win this game in the run of play they only made one more field goal than UCLA but UCLA hit three more threes that offsets that one field goal that they didn't make so I'm not going to sit here and say that Alabama just went out and won this ball game in the run of play and they lost because they didn't make their free throws they had 14 turnovers to UCLA's eight that gave UCLA some buckets 
and took away some possessions that Alabama could have desperately needed. So while this game, it definitely skewed it a little bit because of the free throws, and that is a, that is a narrative that people can cling on to because they were 11 for 25. That's abysmal, and that did play a part. I'm not disagreeing with folks and saying that, that it played a part. That is not the only reason, though, why Alabama lost his basketball game. Well, it's not the only reason. but That's I, discrediting how well UCLA played in this game. I think it's a – and yes, UCLA played really well in this game, but I also think that that's a little skewed because you got to think Alabama – again, for whatever reason, in overtime, even when they were down like eight, they were still... Missing free throws. Well, no, they were still fouling UCLA and putting UCLA... Like, everybody... If you go through Twitter last night and you see everybody complaining, just like, dude, just let the game end. It's over. And they kept fouling. So I think a lot of those free throws are a little bit skewed for UCLA because Alabama was in a position where they had to foul them and they had to put them on the line. So I think that they shot... And naturally, in a course of the game, if Alabama is making more free throws... That's fair. Alabama had more free throw attempts before at, at the end yeah. of regulation before overtime before UCLA was fight, getting yeah. put on the line in that last minute of OT yes yeah, so you're 100 you, correct in you saying t- that. yeah if you take that away then Alabama did shoot more and then you if you just shoot a little bit above what you're shooting it, it changes the scope and UCLA might That's not be shooting as, UCLA might not be shooting as much because Alabama was forced to put them on the line to give them a shot of the game I again games are not like you cannot look at one position like one spot in the game and go this is why Alabama lost. Like I agree, it with played you. a big part. I agree with you on that. You can't just be like, dude, Alabama lost it because of only the free throw line. They lost in large part because of the free throw line and because they couldn't make those free throws. But that doesn't tell the whole story. Like you said, the turnovers that's a big issue. And a lot of times when Alabama, which we we spoke on this a lot, it's about making shots consistently. They're going to get a lot of shots. They're going to play that up tempo style of basketball. It's can you efficiently make them? And at least down the stretch from what I saw, they were getting shots that just weren't falling. And it didn't look like they were getting great shots a lot of the time. But again, you gotta credit you gotta give credit to Mick Cronin. He played a good defensive game. UCLA played a good game. I'm not taking the game was away. played at the tempo that UCLA wanted yes, it played at. Yes. The game was played exactly the way UCLA could only hope to win a basketball game against a team of the caliber of Alabama. Alabama wanted this game. They wanted to score eighty. UCLA wanted this thing in the low 60s at the end of regulation and that's exactly what they got they knew their best chance to win was if they could make Alabama dysfunctional on the offensive end of the floor and they did just that at the end of the regulation period if it's 65 to 65 UCLA achieved just that yeah I mean that's that's fair we use and uh, and barring a colossal failure in that last sequence with six seconds left allowing Alabama to get up the floor and get the three off barring that colossal failure UCLA had this thing won a regulation yeah I, I, I still don't understand how you don't foul there I mean and it, it kills me that they didn't actually get the foul off but you're right that this play this played right into what UCLA wanted to do it played into what Mick Cronin typically likes to do he if they to- played this game at Alabama's pace and they played Alabama's game UCLA loses by 20 UCLA yeah, this yep. is like I said that this morning on uh Auburn Opelika this morning with Zach Blackerby which congratulations to him as well on on winning some Abbey Awards today he cleaned up today he had two Abbey Awards so congratulations to him uh including winning for Auburn Opelika this morning as well so once again congratulations to Zach Blackerby here at Auburn Network over on News Talk WA and I but I was on there with him this morning and I said it was kind of like uh you know what if it was like 
Marvel Cinematic Universe here, Avengers Endgame, which was also on at the same time as last night's ball game, and this was the only way out of the 14 million different possibilities, the only way was for this thing had to be sent to overtime. The three had to be made, right? I said that jokingly, but uh, what what if that was the only way? <laughs> so UCLA coming out on top 88-78 to 78 in overtime on top of Alabama. They move on to the Elite Eight to play Michigan on Tuesday night which this is probably the end of the line for UCLA but we've been saying that for a couple of rounds now I also before we move off of this Alabama UCLA game I got to get on the soapbox a little bit Auburn fans what are you doing do not go roll tumors I don't for that. hold on a second I, hold uh-uh. on no I, hold on that might have been about the equestrian national championship okay, that was won. okay if that's if that's see, about that if that's about the equestrian I've seen national, some, good okay I've seen some stuff out there where there's some folks that are Defe- that, that are saying that it may have been for the equestrian that makes, national you know championship. what I, I, I did forget about that. don't be so quick to buy the cheese <laughs> well I mean I'm just being honest like I see them do I mean I see people do things like this all the time you got to be honest every fan base has a, a sect of fans that do not represent the values that typically are held to that fan base. And if that was the case, if people were rolling it because Alabama lost, that's just this is asinine. Don't do that. If it is for the equestrian thing, which I'm going to hold faith that it still was, then you're in the clear. But come on, man. Like for real, if you're I would if, agree with you. If, it, if, if it's not if about that is the equestrian yes, national that championship, the case, then you was, shouldn't. Because that was just like, roll for Auburn wins, and that's that was, it. That, that goes for anything, that, though. For yeah, me, that was just something that bugged me last night that I saw. And Cubs but, won the World Series, and folks were headed out to tumors that night. And I'm like, that's that's not why you roll tumors. That's not why. I mean, like, I get it. Like, if you it if you're just I may gonna have roll been it, rooting for the Indians that night, but you know, if you're rolling for any time you're excited, it takes away from the value of what that tradition is and why it is yep. such a great tradition. Just, I'm going to try to hold faith that it was because of the equestrian thing, but if it wasn't, if you're out there and are just rolling it for Alabama losses, you are just, you, I don't think you understand how far behind you're putting a fan base behind Alabama's fan base in terms of just being completely out of touch with what you're doing. Question here to you. Nate Oates said, and we got a couple minutes left in this segment. Nate Oates said yesterday, this is from Cecil Hurt on Twitter, at Cecil Hurt. Nate Oates, quote, I told our guys I'm going to talk about this team for 30 more years if I'm in coaching. They changed the culture of Alabama basketball, end quote. I think it's a little premature. I understand the coach making that type of statement because he obviously loves this team. He's talking up this team. He's super proud of their accomplishments. Their their season just ended. I totally understand that. I know why he made these these statements, but I disagree. I, I don't think that this season alone changes the culture of Alabama basketball and we will talk about that on the other side of this break did this season for Alabama basketball change the culture of the program in itself that's coming up here on on the line you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater we'll be right back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Find Levi Dye on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Coming up, we'll have Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the line. That's coming up in about nine minutes or so. 
We'll speak with Jeremy, get his thoughts on the NCAA tournament action from yesterday, Alabama's season ending. We'll get his thoughts on that and also what's going on with Alabama football in the spring. Speaking of Radio Alabama Sports, keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at, at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. I asked this teasing this before we went to break and we want to get the public's thoughts on this as well phone lines are open 334-321-1390 whatever your thoughts are on this topic we want to hear from you come and debate us about this or uh, just give us your thoughts on it i said and nato made this quote last night now i'm paraphrasing he said that this alabama basketball team changed the culture of the alabama basketball program do you agree with that sentiment did this season alone change Alabama basketball's culture? I think it did, but not in a not in a drastic way. Like I know, like when most people think, like, oh, it changed the culture. Like they're from a football school to a basketball school. That's never, ever, 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 ever going to happen at Alabama. They're always going to be a football school. But I think it got a lot of fans more interested in the program, which which is good. Like I think that's where that's where your first step goes. Auburn basketball did the same thing where nobody was really caring about this you know, this basketball program outside of you know some of the diehards and people who were just genuinely interested in either basketball or everything Auburn has to offer. They go on a good run. They get to the tournament. They get shellacked by Clemson, but people still cultivated interest. Then you go on the Final Four run, and that just kind of changed everybody's perspective of the program. Same with Alabama here. I think they're on like that first step of, Okay, people got engaged with this team, and they were. I, I saw Alabama fans that I that have never like watched basketball or even cared about Alabama basketball. But will yeah. they continue to care about Alabama basketball? Is my question to I, you because that's how you know that the culture has changed. I think I'm they asking will. if this is going to have any type of longevity. I think so because I genuinely think Nate Oates is a good basketball coach and I think he's going to be able to get guys at Alabama and consistently win. Will he consistently win the SEC like he did this year? I don't know. That's hard to do when I mean like that that's hard to do unless you're So your answer is predicated on if they continue to do this in the future. And I think they will, but I also think like that's going to be easier done now because of what they accomplished this year. What if Alabama goes back to being 16 and 15 next year, sub 500 in the SEC? Mm, now that that is that see is now tough. that answers my question though so i don't think that this team this year changed the culture of alabama basketball i think they've laid the foundation that's to change the that's culture fair. that's fair i don't that's think fair. that this team specifically has done it because it it, it doesn't mean anything if other they, than that they had a historic season this season alone it doesn't mean anything outside of that unless they continue to build upon it auburn basketball may have had a down year this year but look at the recruiting class that they've got coming in. Auburn basketball is not going anywhere unless the NCAA smites them. But like, still, like Auburn basketball is not going anywhere, barring catastrophe, barring catastrophe from the NCAA. Auburn basketball is not going anywhere. They're going to be back. They've got a great recruiting class coming in. They've got a top five player in the country coming in. That's going to be a one and done. They've got an exceptional crew of players coming back next season. As long as. The NCAA doesn't smite this, and half the team doesn't go pro, which I don't think will occur. So when you're looking at this, Auburn has built it up over a series of seasons. Auburn had three 20-plus win years. Auburn didn't just do it one time. They did it back-to-back-to-back seasons, right? 
they went to the tournament or they would have been a tournament team last year if it wasn't for COVID. So you would have three straight tournament seasons. The culture changed year in and year out. Like that first team that went to the tournament played and beat College of Charleston in the first round and then lost in the next round to Clemson. That team did not change the culture of the Auburn basketball program. It's a progression. It's something that has to be done over time. It laid the foundation, but it did not effectively change it. The Final Four team, I think, did. But I, I I don't. But that's also a continuation of success that Bruce Pearl had had before then. It also, Only two it, years of it, but success. It also depends on what you view as change. Because if you're looking at it, there are people who are optimistic for Alabama next year. They're in moving forward for basketball. Like they're, the culture has changed from just an afterthought at that university to there's at least... There will be optimism going into next there season. There is at least potential They've optimism. They peaked their curiosity for the 2021-2022 yes. basketball you season. You can never change a program overnight. Like no. you, really, you legitimately can't. So it is going to be consistent between... It's going to be important to see what they do next year and the year after that. Now, if they go through and do something similar to what they did this year, if they did, if they had the exact same season that they did next year, like this year's and next year, if they do the exact same thing, get to the Sweet 16 and lose... That that's a program changer because you've looked at two years of two Sweet 16 appearances, two SEC conference uh, ch- regular season champs and tournament champs, and you're sitting there thinking, like, look, if I want to come play basketball and I want to showcase my talents and have a chance to win, I can go to the University of Alabama and do that. Again, found and their eight- recruiting has seen an uptick under yes. Avery Johnson before Nate Oates, and now Nate Oates, Oates. is continuing yes. that right now. I think... I think it's changed basically just for the fact that people actually are caring about it. Now, it's going to be indicative of what they do next year to see if it continuously changes the culture permanently or at least for a long period of time. Yeah, like Auburn basketball had three straight seasons of 25-plus wins. Alabama basketball, looking at their history, the last time they won 26 games was back in 2001-2002. It's been a while. And I mean, like, again, it's I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you on what you said. This team laid the foundation and could be responsible for the start of change. It could be the it literally could be the team that started it, just like Auburn's team was the team that made it to the tournament. That was the real starting point for the culture change. There are one-hit wonders all over the place in college basketball. Teams get hot all the time. But in order to change the culture, it's not a one-season kind of thing. They're going to have to follow it up with more successful seasons. Because I guarantee you, if Alabama goes back to 16-15 and 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 8-10, there's going to be some apathy by midseason. Yeah, I mean, think about... I'm trying to think of a team that comes to mind like Miami a few years. Like, I mean, this was probably what the 2011s when they were a top 10 team. Now Miami is an afterthought in basketball. It's hard to consistently cultivate that program and change something overnight from, you know, Miami not being a great basketball school to being a, being a good one for like, what, a year, maybe two. And now, I think a more local example or more regional example that people would recognize a little bit easier than possibly Miami, South Carolina. True. They went to a Final Four. Has the culture changed in South Carolina because of a Final Four? No. I mean, not really. I mean, you still, like, you view Frank Martin as a good coach, but you don't actually, like, think of South Carolina as this premier basketball program. Maybe that's just indicative of the university because uh, even when football was taken off, you never thought, like, you, you, everybody had the thought once Spurrier was leaving the football program, it was going to be done there. 
You're like, yeah, that they got Spurrier, but once he leaves, they're going to go back to being South Carolina. Just kind of like how basketball is. You know, you make a flute Final Four, but you haven't kept up consistent success in the SEC that is that or even nationally that you need to really change a program trying to go and find a list of South Carolina seasons trying to find their index but uh this South Carolina team hasn't enjoyed any type of success compared to that final four since that moment Mm. and there's more to wins and losses or there's more to culture than wins and losses it's how your fan base how intense your fan base is how much they care about it but I also think that that's directly related to wins and losses you want to see fans leave the seats real quick you want to see that culture deteriorate start losing a lot of basketball games start losing a lot of baseball games start losing a lot of football games it'll go away real quick because people want to go and watch a winner at the end of the day and and it's people more so want to go and watch a winner in some of these peripheral sports like basketball and baseball or sports that aren't football people want to watch a winner and if people aren't if your team's not winning fans aren't going to be there SEC, they're still going to be there for football. You have a lot more of a a little bit of a grace. I say that, but I had season tickets in 2012. I went to every single football game in 2012, and I looked around, and that was the worst attendance season I can remember in Auburn football history. I mean, they might not show up, but they're still going to watch. They're still going to pay attention. Like at least they're still paying attention and keeping up with it. Basketball and baseball have it a little harder. If they start losing games, people aren't even going to start looking at scores anymore because that's that's what happens when a team is bad. You kind of just give up on them. You're just like, look, I know what the, like, once you figure out what your team is, one of the peripheral sports that isn't football in the SEC, you start looking at it and go, why am I keeping up with this? We're getting beat all the time. We're not, we're not performing well. We're not putting a good product out. Why am I wasting my time caring? And again, football has a little bit more leniency because it's football. It's in the South. It's king. So you can't consistently put out a bad product like South Carolina has done. And expect to change a culture. So that's, again, circling back to it. That's why it's important for Alabama to follow up this past year with another successful season. And that and depends on, and it doesn't mean that they have to reach the Sweet 16 or win a national championship or go to the Final Four if you want to compare them to Auburn. They just have to consistently put out a winning product and a consistent winning product. South Carolina finally got these stats up. Since they went to the Final Four back in 2016-2017, they have followed up with four straight seasons of 17-16, and 16-16, and 18-13, and 6-15. and 15. Fortunately for them, two of those four seasons, they have finished above 500 in the SEC, but still almost 500 overall a lot of those seasons there. That is not and, – and that one year, that final four year, 2016-17, is, is clearly an outlier. I mean, before that, they went 25-9, and nine, but – and I, don't, I actually don't have any NCAA tournament data here on sports reference for this. I'm kind of shocked because a team that went 25-9 and nine would have made it. But I think even Alabama is a good example of a team that had success in the early 2000s. Do you want to talk about culture? Rattle off some 17-win seasons. You'll see it deteriorate, so you got to follow it up. You absolutely have to. And we're going to follow it up here on On the Line with a great guest. we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports coming up. We're going to get his thoughts on this topic. Stay with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater at ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
Hope everybody's having a great Monday afternoon, and we appreciate you joining us on the show. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Hopping on the phone with us now, we've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us. Jeremy, how you doing today, my buddy? We're making it through a very long and sad Monday, guys. I talked to your producer. He said that uh, y'all decided to talk about basketball today for the first time in about a month. Very surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were listening to him talk. I don't know if he said those words, Jeremy. I'm just messing with you, my man. Well, thoughts on last night's ball game? Obviously, you've got uh, you can run away with this right here. I'm going to give you the floor on this. Levi and I spent a whole segment breaking down last night's ball game, and then we talked about culture last segment. I want your thoughts on the X's and O's last night and how the Jimmys and Joes performed in yesterday's ballgame. Yeah, I just wasn't really sure about the plan. I know Alabama likes to shoot a lot of threes. I know they tend to make a lot of threes. They they threw the graphic up. They lead the, team, lead the nation in three points made and also three-pointers shot. But, I mean, like, why is Jaden Shackelford every time – why is he passing up open threes to drive to the dish? Why is Herb Jones' basketball IQ so low that he picks up his second foul a minute into the game? Um, I, just a lot of things that, I, that I'm wondering about the first five minutes of the game that, that c- completely threw off all the rotations for Nate Oates. He's scrambling, and, and rightfully so. You have a senior veteran leader who – takes himself out of the ball game because he can't stay under control on offense. you got to realize Alabama's first four personal fouls were all offensive fouls. Then you have your senior veteran guy down the stretch, a guy that you, that you think you can count on. He absolutely chokes it at the free throw line. And I know Herb Jones has been a good player this year. Uh, for, four years, he, for four years, he's been a pretty average offensive guy, and he's the, he's the guy that you put – with the game on the line, the ball in his hands to drive to the dish, gets fouled, and, and, and he's just not able to do anything down the stretch at the free throw line. Great defensive player. That's all good, except he didn't get to play the half the game on defense because he was in foul trouble last game and, and last night. Um, so, you know, Herb Jones, to me, uh, great career, SEC player of the year. I think he earned that. But in the tournament, um, you probably saw year one or year two Herb Jones didn't understand what Shaq was doing. You're, you're a spot-up three-point shooter. I know you score at the rack every now and then, but, I mean, did he even get any shots up on the uh, – did he even shoot a three in the game? I'm not even sure. Maybe he shot one um, throughout the duration of the game as we'll try to pull that up. Shackelford is 0 for 2 from deep. And this is a guy who's – that's not enough threes for Jaden Shackelford to make an impact on the game. Um, and then after that, listen, I think, I think UCLA got hotter than they could have ever gotten. This team made 10 threes. They don't make that threes – they don't make that many threes in a game ever. Um, they have an 11-point lead at half, and then they were able to do what they wanted to do in the second half. They wanted to slow the tempo of the game. Alabama still comes out and makes a run. Alabama forces overtime, and then what, a, what an Alabama way to lose. You force overtime, and then you get absolutely blown out in the final five minutes of the game in overtime. It's just a head shaker. You think you make the shot. You feel like you have the momentum to win, and then you just get tossed. And over time, it's a heartbreaker for Alabama, guys. It was a tough one to watch yesterday, knowing that if you make two more free throws, you're in the Elite Eight, and Alabama absolutely choked the Sweet 16 away at the line. Do you buy the narrative that some of the media out there is pushing that Alabama lost this game because of the free throw line alone? No, I, listen, I, I think Herb Jones uh, had a big part of that. He wasn't on the floor to guard anybody through the first half when UCLA scored the majority of, of their points. I mean, 
They they we Alabama outscored UCLA like thirty two to twenty one before overtime or something like that. I mean they dominated the second half. They put themselves in so much of a hole because Herb Jones couldn't play the first half, and uh, that's a guy that stays in foul trouble. You think a senior would uh, would be able to put it together? I can't get in foul trouble in this game, especially after you pick up the first one. Let's not pick up a charge. At least get it on the defensive end, trying to block a shot. Uh, I think the free throw line. Hurt Alabama, for sure. They died by the three yesterday. They shot 25% from deep. The live and die by the three, you can say that they don't do that when they're playing average basketball teams like they did for the second half of the SEC season. But Alabama died by the three yesterday. They can't shoot 25% from three. That's how they shot in almost every loss they had this year, 30 and under, and they did it again yesterday. So the free throw line, bad, especially down the stretch, probably 75 to 80% of the reason why they lost. But Alabama's uh, Herb Jones' inability to stay on the floor and then 25% from deep is just a disaster for Alabama, especially if you're not going to hit anything at the stripe. Speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports about the Alabama-UCLA Sweet 16 game yesterday that UCLA took 88-78. to Jeremy, after the ball game, Nate Oates has a quote here, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing this in a moment, but he said that this Alabama basketball team changed the culture of the Alabama basketball program. You buying that? Because we're not necessarily buying that here in the studio. We think that they're going to have to follow it up with more successful seasons like this year. I just don't think that that happens overnight one season. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I don't have like Ed Orgeron vibes here. I don't think Alabama's just going to come out and go and – not win 20 games next year, especially with the guys they have coming in, plus the guys that they have coming back. I think they needed to win games, and they won a lot of games this year, guys. And I think this is a little bit of the culture change. The culture may not all the way, all the way be all the way turned around. NATO is shifting it, but there was seven or eight games right there in the final stretch of SEC play that Avery Johnson and Anthony Grant lost 95% of the time, and this and this team was able to win it. Now you could talk about veteran leadership with Herb and Petty and some other guys and Reese. You know, that they had a lot of experience, and how are they going to make that up? I think the culture has shifted, but it's still got to get there. And I think a lot of people are saying that this lays the foundation for something uh, bigger in the future. It doesn't really, like, I, for, for it to get any better, you got to hear me out. For it to get better, Alabama has to win the regular season SEC championship, the tournament SEC championship, and has to move farther than the Sweet 16. Like, I mean, this was this was the year to make a deeper run. Elite Eight, to me, probably the ceiling. I don't think they could have beaten Michigan anyway, so maybe Alabama plays one more game. But to say this is like building up to something big, I realize guys like Huggins and other coaches all across this country, man, they're going to be Hall of Famers, and they're not winning national titles. He's like, how much better can it get? I mean, can you make a Final Four? Is Alabama going to win a national title in basketball? This team accomplished a lot, guys, and yesterday very disappointing. And I'm trying to figure out what road they're saying this is going to lead to. I think Alabama's going to be a really good program under Nate Oates as long as he's there, especially with the way he, Petway, and Brian Hodgson recruit. But, like, how much better is it going to get? The only way it gets better is if you win more tournament games. Plus, you have to win the SEC regular season and tournament championship. This year is not something to sleep on. But I'm trying to figure out how it's going to get much better. Like, let's, let's tamper our expectations a little bit because there's teams that never get to do what Alabama just did. I mean, it's rare to win the regular season and SEC, SEC tournament season or championship in the same year. I mean, I don't know. I was just, I feel like the culture is changing, but people need to realize that this was very special and the Alabama's going to have to do something very, very huge to surpass what they did this year. I want to circle back to the end of the game. I, I hit on this earlier. How did you feel about the Herb Jones 
charge that wasn't a charge that didn't get called on that final UCLA yeah. shot? Well, they've been calling charges all tournament. And I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to say that the double dribble losses the game or a missed charge losses the game or a missed call. But, you know, it was a charge. Uh, it get, didn't get called. Referees tend to swallow whistles in the final minute and a half, final two minutes of a game. It got swallowed right there. They were able to get a bucket off of it. They put Alabama in a little bit of a bomb. But then you come down on the other end and you let a guy who throughout his career is probably like a 70% free throw shooter has never really been that clutch in his whole career. You let him take the shots. He goes down and misses the free throws. Alabama, not for Alex Reese, they lose in regulation. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in this game, guys. And you can't pinpoint one thing. Free throw shooting, a huge part of it. 25% from deep, a huge part of it. Herb Jones' inability to stay on the floor, a huge part of it. John Petty shooting the low percentage that he shot. Shackelford just trying to do things that he doesn't do well, just trying to attack the bucket all game while they have bigs down there. And you can point out a lot of a lot of things in this one. Missed calls by the referees are not one of them. Speaking with Jeremy Law here of Radio Alabama Sports, Alabama season ends in the Sweet 16. Let's talk about some football now. It's time for Alabama folks to, to go back and talk about spring football. It's here, right? What are you hearing right now with spring football? Uh, Bryce Young is going to be a star. Uh, I, I think that's probably already a given before this, but it, it's not. It's sometimes it's it's rare for Saban to come out and just and praise a guy like he has done Bryce a couple of times already. I thought Bryce Young. If you give Bryce Young last year's whole season from start to finish, I'm not going to say he's as good as Mac Jones at the end of the year, but Bryce Young is still a good enough quarterback to win a national title at Alabama if he gets nine or ten starts under his belt especially with the weapons that he would have had. Bryce Young is a star. He's got a strong arm. He has touch. He's a little more, He's mobile in the pocket. I don't think Bryce Young's going to be doing a lot of running. He's a guy that can make some things happen with his feet outside of the pocket and make some throws on the run. But I hear a lot of good things there. Alabama shuffling some things on the offensive line due to a couple injuries. So if you're reading about who's playing OL right now, don't read too much into it. But you're hearing good things about the defense. You're, you're, you're feeling pretty good about your wide receiving group, especially the young guys that are – that are there. So, um, yeah, I guess you can get back to football. I don't, I don't personally know any Alabama fans that woke up this morning. Well, at least we can think about football right now. I think a lot of people are <laughs> still disappointed about the yeah. Sweet 16. I'm serious. I know, I know a lot of people think I were up to be basketball fans for the last month and a half. I'm one of those guys that grew up with basketball season tickets, and most of my friends are too. Yesterday is very, very – it's heartbreaking. You're proud of the team, but you feel like if you can just, just, just do a little more, you're still alive in the tournament. And I can see how what I said may have been construed as a dig. So I apologize on that one. I actually was just saying, you know, it's no, spring no, football's going on. I'm not talking to you. Talking to the guys on Twitter, you know, there's there's, there's, yeah. there's some things, you know, the it is what it is. But yeah, but the football guys is going to be football is going to be fine. They're, everybody should be excited. But um, last night was tough. I was I was wondering what everybody was saying on the planes about the game. Did you? I saw a tweet from, I think it was a notable guy in Auburn. It, it Was Alabama's tournament run underwhelming? To me, it kind of was. I mean, Alabama just got bounced by a play-in team. They didn't really have to play anybody. The only team that they would have had to beat that was quality, what I would consider super quality, would have been Michigan to make a Final Four the way that the tournament, the bracket shook out for me. What do you guys think? I think it's underwhelming just considering they were a two-seed and they've held the two seed for so long. They they cultivated so so such high expectations going into the tournament, and, the, and then you bring up the seeds that they that they get to play. You know, I think even Nick Saban is the, is the guy who says it doesn't. It's not about who we play; it's who we are. You know, and this Alabama team, I, I think at times maybe, um, yeah, I think all season long it was about 
who Alabama was as a basketball team and unfortunately I do think in this game against UCLA in a way Alabama kind of beat themselves I think Alabama when they lost they beat themselves not necessarily that the other team was better than them or had better players I think Alabama just didn't play great yesterday and I think UCLA did did play about as well as they could have but uh I, I do think that Alabama didn't play their best game yesterday and that and Nate Oates said that as well and you would agree with Nate there, guys. But, I, I mean, when you think about – and I'm not comparing Alabama's run to Auburn. I know Auburn had to beat some blue bloods. Alabama had to play the teams that were put in front of them. But when it opened up, Alabama fans really got that, that star in the eye. The Like, oh, man, we can make a Final Four run if we beat one good team. I mean, you got to realize you're the first two seed. So, technically, the, 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 the committee ranked you fifth in the nation. Illinois is already bounced. So, you're the fourth best team – Left in the tournament, if you think about it. Yeah. You win one game against a good team. Not a, If you win one game against a good to great team, you're in the Final Four. Alabama wasn't able to do it. That's a great point. And this UCLA team, later on in the show, we're going to reseed the teams right now. And UCLA, I still have... I think have, they're a good team. And I think so, too. And I think they're much better than maybe what that 11 seed, or at least they're playing better than your typical 11 seed would be playing in, in, in the NCAA tournament. Because statistically... This many low seeds don't advance that far in the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's obscure that we have an 11 and a 12 seed in the Elite Eight. Most of the time, one of those seeds doesn't like even the make fourth, it. The, the fourth team, that was like the fourth time that a uh, 11 beat a 2 in the Sweet 16 or something like that. Like, it doesn't really... I know it's the first time ever. Really happen a lot. So. I know it's the first time ever we've had an 11 or a 12 at the same time in the Elite Eight. That's never happened That's before. Crazy. So it, th- this year has been... And you almost had a 15 seed there, too. Yeah, I mean Arkansas almost went yep. down as Man, well. So it's it's so been close. a it's been a wild year after all. And so um I, I agree with a lot of things that you that you said about the ball game, Jeremy. And uh my last question to you then is a is a football question, because you said something about Bryce Young that I that I want to touch on here. Is he where does he rank? I, I won't say I won't ask you is he the best quarterback in the SEC, but obviously you've been high up on him since he's stepped on campus. Where is he compared to the other quarterbacks in the SEC entering this year? Yeah, I don't want to put – let's see, he has to start at a game, right? But right. I think you already have to place him at top five just based off of how much talent that you have. I mean – How much talent's around him, of, too. There's a lot of – yeah, a lot of talent around him, the talent that he has. He has thrown game, he's thrown passes in games. He's looked impressive in the games that he's come into. So, I mean, I would say I'd just rank him fourth or fifth right now and let him play his way up um, through the ladder. By the time the year's over, he's going to be one or two. Who's going to be the best? Not sure, um, but, you know, it's a long year. Uh, we'll see. I, I think Bryce Young will probably, by the time you finish the year, he'll be in the Heisman conversation. Jeremy, I appreciate you hopping on today with us. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff on uh, online on Twitter. Uh, IMJ underscore law on Twitter. Noah, congratulations on the Abbey Award today. I loved listening to the uh, road, what was it, the 2019 Lincoln Golden Bears That's podcast right. that you did when you did it. I thought it was great. You've probably done a lot better work since then. You're a hard-working guy. We appreciate everything you do at Radio Alabama. I consider you one of the best in the business. I appreciate it, my man, and, and same to you as well. I'm, I'm excited to see all the things that you're doing and, and calling those Montevallo baseball games. I always really enjoy uh, sitting and talking with you and, uh, and, and hearing all the things that you've got going on and, and seeing all the hard work you put in your craft. We need to go get some food sometime, my man. There's a Mexican restaurant up there in Silicaga that, that, I, that I got my eye on. We got, we got to make it happen as long as all this weather stays away. Come on up, man. We'll be waiting on you. I appreciate it, my man. 
That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the line. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up hour number one here of On the Line. Big thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for hopping on with us. If you missed that conversation, or if you ever missed a conversation, you ever missed a show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all the locations that you get your podcast. That's how you can listen to us. Find Levi at I on Twitter, at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. Got about four minutes left here in the first hour. Before we wrap it up, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Things are heating up on the two singing shows on network television this evening. At 7 on ABC, American Idol will see contestants battle for their spots in the top 24. Still at 7, but on NBC, the battle rounds begin on The Voice. Movie selections for tonight, Mission Impossible Fallout is on FX at 6. The Avengers try and reverse the actions of Thanos in Avengers Endgame. It runs from 4 to 8 on TNT. Following the movie, a new episode of Snowpiercer will be on. In live sports, the Elite Eight round of the NCAA tournament gets started tonight with two games. 12-seed Oregon State will take on two-seed Houston at 6-15 on CBS. Following it at approximately 9 o'clock, three-seed Arkansas and one-seed Baylor will play. The winners of the two games will play each other in the Final Four. Looking at the NBA schedule, two games are on NBA TV. At 6-30, it'll be the Pelicans at the Celtics, and at 9, the Bucks and the Clippers close out the night. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up the show here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, or hour number one of the show, that is. Before we head to hour number two here, once again, a big thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us in that previous segment. Tomorrow, we're going to have Robbie Weinstein of Vanderbilt 24-7. He's also on the national desk for 24-7 sports, so he writes a lot of national stories as well. We're going to uh, get a multitude of topics with Robbie Weinstein tomorrow First of all, we will talk to him about what's going on in Nashville. They approved a $300 million project of facilities investments going into their stadium. Also, what is being called a football operations facility. Kind of sounds like a football-only facility. We'll find out what all that means tomorrow with him. Vanderbilt's dumping a giant money truck into their football program. And hey, you know, a lot of opposing teams' fans have traveled to Nashville for a long time. We all deserve this, right? Like, we deserve yes. a better stadium when we're visiting. <laughs> we, they, yes. As, as I say that fans, jokingly. I, I feel bad for Vanderbilt out there. I really but, do. I mean, they're But playing. the opposing teams really do typically... It, it, there's no reason why your home field should be half and half, like 50% oh, yeah. the other team, 50% it, your fans. It always reminds me of, I don't remember what year this was, but Alabama played at Duke. And I remember just seeing the overwhelming crimson that over, like, that, that was just like covered. Like, I think, I don't think it was 50 50. I think it was 75 25. Man, and I've Alabama. been on Duke's campus before. Have you ever visited? Have you ever seen what it looks like I've, in person? Yes, I've got to see some of the campus before. Man, I just stepped on and just walked around, and yeah. you know, I was shown around by a Duke fan. Mm-hmm. Grew up a lifelong Duke fan in the North Carolina area. I was actually with JJ Jackson, host okay. of Sports yep. Call, and um, me and him and some other friends. We we were all in college together, and we were we were taking a trip up there in North Carolina, and um, we were touring the campus and everything. And I just I was amazed. I didn't know that it was so. I didn't know that. The architecture was the way that it that, was. The gothic, I didn't know. Uh, that exactly. gothic architecture is It's like beautiful. stone buildings, yes. man, but it doesn't look bad. Like it looks really mm-hmm. good. And the and the 
and D- Cameron indoors outrageous. Oh, yeah. Like, see, I, I'm having a hard time getting my words out on this. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm it's kind absolutely of like speechless. Beautiful. It's a absolutely bit. beautiful when you and walk up there. The chapel and whatnot. I mean, it's it's a gorgeous facility. Now, talk about another beautiful campus. Duke fans won't lie me saying this. North Carolina's got a great campus as well. Very beautiful. Similar to Auburn in a lot of ways, I would say. I agree with that. I agree with that one. That's it's just a beautiful campus. Yeah. North Carolina's got some pretty scenery. I traveled around North Carolina that year, just across the state. I saw all the sights. It was it was really nice. Really nice. That's it for hour number one here of On the Line. When we come back, we'll talk some Auburn football here, SEC baseball, ton of sweeps. We got a lot of stuff here planned for you still. Stay with us. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hour number two of On the Line. Had a great show so far. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for hopping on the show with us talk to alabama ucla for a large portion of our number one pretty much all of our number one we want to hear from you about it too any thoughts you've got on last night's game we want to hear from you about it 334-321-1390 not thinking that this is a program changing season for alabama could lead to that if they keep replicating it year in and year out also not buying the narrative that free throws were the lone reason why Alabama lost yesterday, which is kind of getting pushed out there on social media and in the media. So I think that last night, that hour, number one, perfect way to summarize it all when we were talking about a lot of different reasons why Alabama lost. The conversation with Jeremy, Herb Jones not being on the floor, three-point shooting as well. We didn't even bring up three-point shooting. All of them very valid reasons. And we'll probably revisit this game again later on in the show but if you missed any of that go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast i want to start off our number two here with some auburn football talk later this week on wednesday we're going to break down the auburn linebacker room in our 8 day depth chart series and levi like we did with the defensive line last week i'm going to get your initial thoughts on this group going into the spring general impressions of this of this group in the sec I like the group. I like generally like when you just first glance, first thought about what the linebackers bring to the table this year, you have guys who, one, are talented. Two, guys who, like you have guys who could have been in the league this year and you have experience. Like I love, uh, oh, if you're starting off with saying, who do you got in there? And you're going to say, Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain first. That's a good start. That's a really good start. And I like that. And then you can build on from there. I like what you're starting with. I think this is going to be a good group. I still like the defensive back room better in terms of talent, in terms of depth, but I don't think this linebacking group is going to be a slouch at all. Small guys that hit hard. That's my impression. Yeah, small guys that can really hit hard. Kind of wondering if they've got quality depth. We know they've got bodies in the room. Kind of wonder if they have quality depth outside of the top two guys, which 
They didn't use anyone last year outside of Owen, Pat Owens, and Kobe McClain. That was it. They were in the nickel primarily the whole season. And they didn't really rotate those dudes out. How their legs didn't fall off, how their arms didn't fall off, I don't know. Because they really didn't give them a lot of rest. And they didn't cycle in any of the youth. Desmond Tisdall, who's that? Wesley Steiner, who? We haven't even gotten to see these guys play yet because they wouldn't let them get in the ball game. That's different than what we've seen in the past from this Auburn linebacker room. We've seen it four players deep at one point. Last year, it was not that way. I don't think that's indicative of the players that are behind them in the depth chart. For whatever reason, Kevin Steele and Travis Williams did not want to, or at least I don't know if we can say they didn't want to because we don't know what their inner belief was on that topic. Somebody on that defense didn't want those linebackers coming into the ball game, whether it was Travis Williams or it was Kevin Steele. They left those two guys on the field. I'm probably leaning a little bit more towards Kevin Steele because the defensive scheme was the 4-2-5 for pretty much the entire season Auburn may claim it was a 4-3 it was not a 4-3 you gotta have three linebackers on the field more than half the time for me to believe that you know like they were primarily in the nickel last year and we only saw two linebackers on the field and I think they suffered for it because Auburn did not have a good defensive line last year you can stay in the nickel all year long when you have Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson eating offensive linemen up front you can do that but when you have a bad line you can't you can't because and I've explained this before with you on the show here's a little football for everybody when opposing teams are running inside zone or just generally a zone blocking scheme which most teams in college football run that some teams run more power than others which is pulling guards and whatnot that's what that means but zone blocking basically you come up to the line of scrimmage you cut the field in half with the center position you then count in the tackle box how many defenders are on the other side of the ball? How many guys are in that tackle box on the left or right? Whichever whichever side the play is being ran to, you count up the defenders that are on that side of the tackle box when you come to the line of scrimmage. In the 4-2-5, at any one point, there will, only, there will only be three players on that side of the football that you're running to. Two defensive linemen and one linebacker when you cut the field in half. And so when you come to the line, even if you just have five offensive linemen and you're and you're running four wide and you've just got five o-linemen and you're not you don't even have a tight end you at least have the blocking numbers tied with how many defenders are in the tackle box and if you're at least competent on the offensive line you're going to at least get a push up front and give yourself a chance to block out the linebacker who's trying to get in the hole and you're gonna have a chance to gain some decent yardage so even in one of the most unprotected running schemes that you could possibly be in if you had like four wide or or running formations that is you would be able to at least be tied up with numbers with the defense in the tackle box Auburn was not committed to stopping the run last year in any form or fashion with the scheme in my opinion they did they I just don't know how you could watch how how much Auburn struggled with run stopping up front to think hmm we don't need more help in the tackle box and Auburn just didn't do that a whole lot last year they didn't put a they didn't put too many players in there. Also, I don't think a nickelback, especially when it was Christian Tut, was the best answer to solve that because I think Auburn tried to rely on the nickel too much to stop the run as well. Sometimes you just need another linebacker because I just talked about what it looks like if you're in a four-wide receiver set. When you add a tight end to a side and the line starts getting unbalanced and you've now got four blockers on one side of the ball because you count the center in this because the center typically goes and takes out the linebacker in the zone blocking scheme. So say you've got a tight end on the right side of the line 
And you've got the center, the guard, the tackle, and the tight end. You've got four blockers right there. And then you've got three defenders on that side in the tackle box. There were many times that I was watching the ball game and pre-snap, and I noticed a lot of this against Kentucky, and then I was like, ah, it'll get better as the year went on, and it never got better. There were a lot of times when I was watching the Kentucky game at the start of the season, and then it continued throughout the year, where I was just like picking up. I was like, man, Kentucky's like pre-snap, Kentucky's got us beat. Just by simple numbers and how you're lining up. Just looking at number like <clears throat> and bodies it's stuff on Auburn bodies. never adjusted yeah. to across the entire course of the season. Extremely irritating, and Auburn did not go deeper in the linebacker room. So I'll tell you this at the top, it's a top heavy group, I think. At the top, Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain, small linebackers, but man, they hit hard, and I think they're I think they are some of the best linebackers in the SEC. Outside of that, I don't know what yeah. they have. Chandler Wooten hasn't played football for over a year. Beyond that, you got a guy that was playing edge for you is moving possibly to inside linebacker, but I think we've seen some stuff with him listed as an edge with T.D. Moultrie, yeah, and he I mean, really some, hasn't been that effective. I'm still seeing him listed as edge on Auburn's roster, but right. it was reported earlier that he would be, you know, he's expecting to move back to his natural position where he was recruited at. I'm going to trust what the roster says, though. Yeah, I it mean, says he's, he's listed at edge, so he's, he's an outside linebacker then, which I think would tell us that and we'll get to this on Wednesday. I think that would tell us that Zacoby McLean and Owen Papo are your inside linebackers this season because I, I would factor in Derek Hall as an outside linebacker as an outside linebacker as well. But we haven't seen Wesley Steiner. We haven't seen Desmond Tisdall. And Chandler Wooten, when he was on the football team, was the fourth string linebacker anyway. So I'm not I'm not sold on quality depth with this group, but I think at the top, they're talented. Yeah, and then you have a guy who's coming out of community college. He's not going to be or junior college. I'm sorry, and he's. I think Joko Willis, Willis probably yeah. fits. He might end up even being an edge as well. But like he's not here for the spring, and you could see him be an edge. You could see him be a linebacker. But he was but, listed as an inside linebacker as a JUCO transfer, so he may very well end up playing inside linebacker. There's yeah. a there's a log jam over and, at edge. Yeah, like there's like there you have no idea what's coming out. And obviously, this guy's not going to be here for spring, so he's not going to be a factor into what we're doing with our depth chart. What's the unit's biggest strength? Unit is in the linebackers. For people just now joining us, we're discussing Auburn's linebacker room. First impressions of it going into the spring. The top, like the the talent at the top of the linebacker. It's the room. biggest strength. Yeah, like you you have you have a you have two guys who are just uber talented. Tackle machines. Fly yes, the football. great great tackle. Great guys who are going to tackle. But what do you have outside of that? And that's going to be the biggest weakness is. Well, I was going to ask you that. What's the biggest weakness? You think it's, it's the, you it's think the, it's the depth he- behind them? It's the top-heavy nature. Lack of, thereof. Yeah, it's the top-heavy nature. Like, you have two guys who are really good who are, like you said, tackle machines. They're going to get after guys, and they're going to be able to hit guys. But what happens after them? Like, what else do we have? And we might have quality depth and just not know it. That might be something that we're not aware of because we didn't get to we see it. We didn't get it. to see them. We didn't get to see it last year. Like I said a few moments ago on my soliloquy, the the Auburn defensive scheme last year didn't help out the linebackers whatsoever. Not at all. It left them on an island. They were tackle machines statistically because the defensive line was allowing to. them to, to get to the second and third level. They had to. They were trying. Auburn was trying to do what it did the previous year when you had guys like Derek Brown and you know like guys who could yep. literally just stop eat up space and if, that defensive line last year could not do it if you want to look up to an nfl example go look at the rams go look at the rams what they do with aaron donald if you look and they were having 
two or three down linemen and just throwing out nickel sets because they could. Because you have Aaron Donald as a stalwart who can just come in there and just absolutely eat offensive linemen. Auburn's linebackers last season succeeded, if you even want to say that, succeeded in spite of the defensive line. Yeah, I don't yeah, that's that's fair. Cause I the defensive line did them no favors at all. No favors whatsoever because other than possibly drives Jacoby McClain's draft stock up because he's a hundred plus tackler in a ten game season. Other than help you stat pad. They helped you pad those stats with tackles because they weren't doing anything. Unit's biggest weakness for me, I'm not super thrilled with a mountain space, specifically Owen Papo. I think he struggled at times outside the hashes when that thing gets out on the edge, which isn't totally their primary responsibility. Obviously, you've got defensive backs for a reason, and I think Auburn's got some decent run stoppers out in the defensive backfield. Sometimes that's safeties. I didn't feel like Jamian Sherwood was great out in space either. Smoke True. Monday sometimes doesn't look comfortable I'm hoping that's changing the upcoming season as well but I wasn't thrilled with how this group looked out in space once again that very possibly could be because other players around them weren't doing their job whatever but I I wasn't thrilled with them out in space on top of that I'm not loving this group in terms of pass coverage but that one I may be being a little bit too picky because what college linebacker group do we look at and be like, oh man, I love how they cover the football? Very few, you know. There are the the most elite linebackers in college football. There's only a few of them, of course. Go to the league already built in to be able to be decent defenders in the passing game, and I, I I'm not going to fault a group because they're not great at it. Because most of the time, college linebackers aren't good at it. You're lucky to get one linebacker on your team that can, that's, that can cover. If you have mo- like. Yeah, is, is that a weakness? Yes. Is it expected? Yes. College linebackers traditionally... More times than not. Yeah, they're traditionally not going to be great at coverage. You're lucky if you have one guy who's who's good, who's good at covering the football at linebacker. And he's your nickel linebacker. Exactly. Like, you're you're lucky just to find one guy, and typically, if you have a guy who can cover, who who's, can cover in college at linebacker, you're going to see that guy as a, you know, round one, round two NFL draft pick unless he is just abysmally undersized and undervalued on Wednesday we'll do our A-Day depth chart series for the linebackers we'll break down the entire one. room uh, I, oh, I actually think it's pretty it's pretty set I, in stone I, I mean I, I got the top two but I don't know about that there we might see some changes I'm excited you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater we'll be right back You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Once again, call in at 334-321-1390. On the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Seven hours. Local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU dot com levi did you know there are three pack 12 teams in the elite eight because i feel like that's everywhere all the time everybody's just this, this is bill, bill walton's fault he started it he he, he campaigned for is five the, is the quote conference of champions trying to finally live up to their self-proclaimed name i mean they're the best uh best conference in college basketball I this mean, year and big 10 is the worst obviously 
I still don't know why Gonzaga's not in the Pac-12 yet, just for basketball alone. I think they should. That that would be cool. I don't know why that, that, that hasn't really occurred cool. yet. That would be really cool. If I think they that would it. only Even, help Gonzaga. I don't think that would hurt them in any way. No, I mean competition's a good thing. I think the WCC makes them soft some years. Maybe not this year because they're that good, but. I, I mean, the WCC has the propensity to make you soft, and they have a couple good. Like the WCC has a couple good teams, but traditionally, like if imagine a year where you get a couple to see, of decent teams. Yeah, I'm gonna say. I mean, did St. Mary's make their tournament this year? No. no. He, even BYU got bounced early, so I mean, by guess who? U.S. Conference of Champions. <laughs> imagine, all right? So just imagine a year where you have like getting to watch Gonzaga and Oregon, or Gonzaga and USC, UCLA and Gonzaga, Mick Cronin versus Mark Few. That just seems amazing to me. I'd love for, even if it's just basketball alone, like a basketball only school. Also, they recruit well, but like it's got to boost recruiting to say, hey, man, you at least get to play in the Pac 12, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, You're not playing Pepperdine at San Francisco. Does Gonzaga have a football, football team? Yeah, I say, do they even have one? It. Because I know there's a lot of these teams that Move don't. Them up. I always say, just, I don't know if they have them or not. While you're looking that up, I did find something that I thought was really interesting. I'm just going to rattle off some numbers real quick while you're doing this. Six, 179, 326, 247, 234, 337, 17, and 305. It's a lot of high numbers right there. Well, that's too many numbers to come out of a fortune cookie, so. Adjusted tempo. There are a lot of slow teams in this Elite Eight. There are a lot of slow teams. There's some fast teams. Gonzaga's one of them. Especially among the teams that are playing tonight. Yes. This they, is the slow side of the bracket. Oregon State Houston is going to be slow. That I, Don't we, take the over. We joked uh, we joked when we were picking on Friday and I They said, do not play football by the way. And I said Syracuse first team to, you know, Syracuse Houston, we said first team to 50 cuz we we both we all picked Syracuse we, didn't hit 50. Yeah. And now guess who picked Houston? Yep, you picked this Houston. Guy. I think it's the same way here. I, I, first team to 50. These two teams are going to play yeah. really slow and Man, you saw what Oregon State did to Loyola Chicago, a team that couldn't find a bucket. Houston's offense has been their weakness. I would not be surprised. I don't know if it's a weakness, though. I just think they score so few points because of the possessions. I actually think they're quite efficient on the offensive side of the ball. They are efficient. They're Uh, like Virginia. This is the Virginia of this year's tournament. That's true. I hope they get bounced then. It should be illegal. It should be an illegal basketball. It's not game. fun. It's what not was fun. it? It was like eleven. Uh, it was like eleven minutes left in the first half, and it was like six to nine. Loyola Chicago versus Oregon State. I think I shot you a text uh, on like Saturday when it was eleven minutes left in the second half, and Loyola had only made like nine field goals or seven field goals. They hadn't even broke double digits on field goals made over halfway through the game, almost three fourths of the way through the game. It's it's basketball. It works. It can win you games. But I'm starting to see this where I'm thinking, because you look at the the previous national championship game where you had Texas Tech, a defensive team, Virginia, a defensive team, a little bit slower on both sides of the ball. You look at all these tempo teams that are making it. It's starting to look like slow tempo teams are the way to go in the tournament at this point. And I hate to say it, but that's just what it looks like from now on. I want to see the up-tempo style. Maybe Gonzaga will give us a breath of fresh air, come in with the high-octane offense and give us a good, fun winner. Because if not, we're going to have to watch a slugfest, just a big slog, just boring, slow, defensive basketball. Houston, eighth 
in adjusted offensive efficiency, according to KenPob.com. That's one of the highest marks they're, remaining. They're efficient, yeah. I believe that's the fourth highest mark remaining in the NCAA tournament. It is. We'll, we'll also look at – you can also see another little telling stat from stuff like that. Efficient offensive teams, that's pretty much what you have here in the tournament. You have teams who make the most out of their buckets. I mean, you still have a few – The worst aren't. efficiency – is Arkansas on the offensive end at 47th in the nation. And it makes a little bit of sense because Arkansas, what they've been doing has been run the floor. It's a lot like Alabama where they've been trying to go fast for the most part, get a lot of shots up and make a lot. It, it, they're not doing it officially, but they are making a lot of shots. I said to you about a month ago or maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week or so before the NCAA tournament began, I said, look, every team that makes the Elite Eight for the most part, about six out of that eight, seven out of that eight, can play really good defense they all can play defense at this point in the time of the season the worst right now in defensive efficiency UCLA, at this right? moment well Oregon State surprisingly in adjusted defensive efficiency is 60th so you, then UCLA the are close because UCLA is 55th and UCLA yeah. is 55th you're correct outside of that everybody else has got very good marks in terms of the rankings right now all top 25 with the exception of Baylor is 27th so I'm just going to count that and then you got UCLA at 55th and Oregon State at 60th they, they can all play defense at a high level and they've all reached the NCAA tournament this level of the NCAA tournament because they've played defense at a high level through this point Oregon State may be 60th in adjusted defensive efficiency that's shocking have you seen the way they've played defense in the tournament so far they've locked everybody down exactly so my point is everybody can play defense that's left the big question that I said that determines how far can you go can you get is a, can you get a bucket and i think i was talking about alabama when i was oh, talking about this you, you were talking about kansas because oh. i was big on kansas and you said they can always play defense but what happens to the big self teams in the tournament they can't score when they it can't gets score you right. look back at that usc game and what happened they couldn't score at all and that's why we're here with couldn't usc defend at all either yeah i mean they couldn't do anything usc about 30 something points usc i mean they've been clay helton deserves a lot of credit for making this a basketball school <laughs> that's good that's good he at least deserves an that's assist good. you know man he played at auburn for two years in football i mean andy enfield deserves a lot of credit as well but i mean clay helton's got to get an assist you can't become a basketball school unless your program has not been uh particularly good as of late yeah that's that's fair that's fair so let's get into picking our two elite eight games tonight and then tomorrow we'll pick two more games staying hit that hot key my man Well, that was anticlimactic. He wasn't ready for it. He, was, he wasn't ready for the picks. <laughs> that was so anticlimactic. He, like, sits up, takes a second. I love it. That's great, though. Uh, so we got our two games to pick here tonight, starting with 12-seed Oregon State against 2-seed Houston 615 CBS, the game that's going to be played at a snail's pace. You've said first team to 50 wins. What you got? Yeah, I still think his first team to 50 wins. I think Houston might can actually separate with this team. Um, I was kind of knocking their offense, but I agree with, like, after kind of looking into it and talking about how efficient they are offensively, I think they're going to be a much tougher challenge for that Oregon State defense, which, again, Oregon State couldn't guard anybody during the regular season. Don't forget that. They were an abysmal defensive team. They got the tournament started locking everybody down. So... I won't say abysmal defensive team in the regular season, I mean, but they, it, it was average they, above average. They weren't they weren't great. They were getting beat by Portland State at home. So fair. I, I think this is the game where you see a team that can shoot more efficiently. 
Because like Loyola Chicago, they were a great defensive team, but they didn't shoot the ball as efficiently as you would like. And you saw that come to fruition on Saturday. I think Houston can come in. I think they can make the shots they need. And it's going to be a slower game. It's going to be a little bit just kind of slow. I think Houston might separate at the end. It might be close throughout. I'm going to take Houston to win. I'm, I'm going to take them to cover what their spread is. Like, I think they're going to cover the eight points because I think it's going to be maybe a foul fest at the end. Kind eight of like, points in this kind of game is a lot. It's a lot. but I And I don't think that's going to be reflective of the score. I think it's going to be more of a UCLA-Alabama situation where you see a lot of fouls late and that separates them away. But I do think it's going to be close throughout. Houston's going to end up taking this one away from Oregon State and it's going to separate itself with free throws and fouling at the end to kind of, you know, a forced foul situation for Oregon State. And I think Houston wins. Also, the other thing to note about this is whoever falls behind here isn't necessarily equipped to come back. Like they don't like yeah. to have to play fast late. That's not the way that they want to play. These teams want yes. to get a lead and protect it because of their defensive nature and because of how slow they like to play the game. But if Houston were to fall behind, I think I trust Houston more to make a comeback than I would Oregon State to make a comeback against Houston's defense. I'm going to go with you as well. Houston's going to get this game. Oregon State's run comes to an end. It's get, it's getting chalkier and chalkier. We might actually get three one seeds in the Final Four. I told you I, what. I said it was funny that this tournament could see, and this season alone could see so much well, I parody. I said on Friday that we yeah. were going to see chalk this past weekend. You guys were still upset, upset, upset. Well, no, we talked here about here we go. But we talked about this at the beginning of the tournament season. I said, how crazy would it be, as wacky as this season has been, as parody filled as it's been, that we end up with something like Gonzaga Baylor in the national championship yeah. game? Because which statistically typically does not happen. Speaking of Baylor, three seed Arkansas, one seed Baylor, eight fifty seven CBS. I'm going to say Baylor in this one. I don't think Arkansas has – I don't think they have enough to take out Baylor. Like, uh, Baylor would have to play – and I'm, I'm not saying they can't because I think Baylor would have to play probably one of its worst games. Arkansas would have to play one of its best games. I think Baylor can – I think they can control the offense. They're more efficient than Arkansas. I think they're going to make a lot more shots in terms of efficient shots. Arkansas, they want to play fast. I can see Baylor. Being, they want to shoot more shots, not necessarily higher percentage. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to come down to it, is Baylor is going to make, uh, they're going to make a higher percentage of their shots. Baylor, they're not like the slowest team in terms of like tempo, but they're like balanced. they could they could run, like they can run, they can play some defense, like not not the best defense you're going to see. They're literally right down the middle, 179th yeah. in adjusted tempo. Like, There's like 357 teams in college basketball, and you're right in the middle. I think Baylor is too talented for Arkansas to beat. You're going to have to see like a post-COVID Baylor team like we saw when they played Kansas earlier in the season. I don't think you get that. I think they're going to beat Arkansas and make it to the Final Four. So the we were talking about this off-air, and the way that I evaluate Baylor is they're really good in, all, in, in, in pretty much every aspect of the game of basketball. Right now, are they performing at their – highest efficiency are they performing at their highest clip no not at the moment but even if they're not performing in one area like let's say they're not shooting the basketball well they can still fall back on their defense they can still fall back on the fact that they're protecting the basketball well it's not like they're not shooting the ball well and turning the ball over more than their opponent they still excel in multiple areas of their game even if they're not in one it's hard to beat Baylor because you've got to excel and beat them in multiple areas of the game of basketball I don't think Arkansas does that so I got Baylor advancing as well we got 30 minutes left in the show here on On the Line. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back in just a moment.
Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Levi Fittitzwater with you here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Coming up in 30 minutes, you got The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack over on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama following us from 4 to 6 every weekday as they do every day. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. They'll be taking your calls as well as we are as well. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. That's the number to call to get into on the line, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Any thoughts on what happened last night with Alabama basketball against UCLA, Auburn football, anything that's on your mind, we are taking your calls here. Auburn baseball suffered its second straight SEC sweep. What is the path? for Auburn digging out of this hole 0-6 in the SEC now they're not the only ones I think I saw six SEC teams got swept this weekend I mean I, th- I think it was six it yeah was, six it, out of seven series somebody got yeah. swept but Flor- still Florida was one of those right like didn't yes Florida, they did yeah, they Florida were swept got, by South Carolina Florida got swept I mean that all started with a walk-off I believe in game one and that's also kind of indicative of what the SEC is like I mean it's it's never good to get swept but also the SEC is talent rich with a lot of teams so it is expected that sometimes you're going to get a a wild series like South Carolina sweeping Florida because there are just talented teams throughout this conference. To kind of circle back on your question about what does Auburn have to do to get out of this hole, I don't know if they can get out of the hole. I think they're benefiting from the fact that there are other teams who, who have been swept and other teams that don't have a great record. Like I think... If this was like a traditional, like if say like a not like not a lot of these teams get swept this weekend. There's a lot of two one series and whatnot. It's a lot harder for Auburn. They're they're benefiting from the fact that some other teams have also struggled. Yeah, look at the SEC West baseball standings right here, just to keep everybody up to date. Ole Miss swept Alabama this past weekend, advanced to six and zero in conference play, twenty and four overall. Arkansas is at five and one, nineteen and three overall. Mississippi State at two and four. They were swept by Arkansas this past weekend. They're seventeen and seven overall. A and M at two and four. They're seventeen and nine overall. I'm pretty sure A and M's the only team this weekend who was not swept by someone. Let's see if we can go and find their schedule right here, real quick get their full schedule because i believe they were the one team who avoided it they were they took two out of three against georgia so georgia was the one team who avoided it georgia went one and two against texas a&m texas a&m at two and four in the sec lsu at one and five and 16 and eight overall alabama at one and five and 15 and nine overall and auburn at zero and six and 11 and 11 overall one of two teams to not be above 500 in sec baseball at the moment of course Things don't look great for Auburn baseball right now for a variety of reasons, but something that Auburn folks can say right here, it's not over yet. The ship has not sailed, but it is going to be pretty difficult to dig out of this spot. It would be even more difficult if Alabama and LSU in front of them weren't at 1-5. But fortunately for them, they are at 1-5. They're in pretty much just as bad of a situation as Auburn is, with the exception of Auburn is behind them by game. But I've got Auburn's schedule pulled up right here, and we're going to do a little mathematics here and we're going to count up Auburn's record and just evaluate this schedule moving forward to show you how difficult this road is ahead for Auburn baseball at the moment you've got Arkansas on the road this weekend I think right now with the state of the Auburn baseball program you can hope to go one and two this weekend against Arkansas so then you are one and eight at the moment I need your help keeping up with this so at that point you would be one and eight after the Arkansas series you then have Mississippi State 
who is a and I know they're right now two and four in SEC play, and I know they just got swept by Arkansas. This has still been a top ten team all year yeah, long. Yeah, it's still it's still Mississippi State. They're still a top ten team. Let's just say because they're a top ten team right now, let's say Auburn goes one and two against them as well, and then you are two and nine, or excuse me, two and ten. Two See, and ten. That's why I need your help on the math. Two and ten. You then have Alabama on the road. This is a winnable series, but I'll say at best, we'll give Auburn two out of three against Alabama because Prelip on Friday night's a problem. Connor Prelip yeah. is a machine, one of the best pitchers in this league. We'll say two out of three there. Auburn gets to four and 11 at that point after the Alabama series. Then they've got Florida at home, who has been ranked number one in some polls. I know they yeah. just got swept. But let's say, you know, let's let's be kind and say that Auburn takes two out of three against Florida at home. We've seen it before in the last five years. I remember that series that Auburn swept them back a couple of years ago, back in like 2016, 2017. So let's just give Auburn two out of three there. That is going to put them at six and 12. You're still below 500. Georgia on the road, who has been up and down as well. Sloppy start to SEC play. They were top 15 for a while before SEC play began. They're two and four. That one's on the road. We'll say Auburn goes, and once again, Auburn's going to have to be playing their best baseball from here out in order to dig out of this hole. So I'm still going to go with best-case scenario here just to prove everybody how difficult it is. Even on best-case scenario, Auburn takes two out of three against Georgia. That puts you at 8-13 and 13 through that stretch of That's, seven it's, series. It's, it's, uh, it's best-case scenario without just saying like, oh, we sweep this team, oh, we sweep this team. This is like the most, like this is the realistic. Realistic best case scenario. Yes, you got LSU at home scenario. after Georgia on the road. You got LSU at home, two out of three there because LSU is still a good baseball team. Yes. You're then at 10 and 14. Then you got Texas A&M at home who this weekend took two out of three against Georgia. Let's just say it's the SEC. It's hard. Right now, do you have confidence in Auburn sweeping folks? No. So then you got two out of three against A&M. That is 12 and 15. And then the last one here, Missouri, let's just say Auburn sweeps them. 15 and 15. That is with Auburn sweeping one team and then taking two out of three against every club that they play from here out, with the exception of Arkansas and Mississippi State, over the next two series. It's, I mean, it does not seem like they're going to It does be able not to. seem likely, does it? No. Like, you have to play absolutely like perfection like you have like not not perfection but like you have to play pretty close to perfect to even get close to getting out of the hole and even in the most realistic best case scenario you're still sitting there without a real fighter's chance and I think if Auburn does that they make it to the NCAA tournament because yes I mean you're playing your best baseball at the end of the year and it's the SEC and if you've they look back and they see like in that situation where you took two out of three against Florida or you know teams like that, you're they're gonna they're gonna evaluate that and see where you're at. In twenty nineteen, the year that Auburn went to Omaha, they almost didn't make the NCAA tournament. They were fourteen and sixteen in the SEC. If you almost didn't make the NCAA tournament when you were fourteen and sixteen, you probably are not going to you're probably this year if you're worse than that you're probably not going to make it right so i'm saying auburn's in a very difficult spot right now i think they're on the outside looking in with the ncaa tournament another year here 2018 just looking back at the butch thompson time here they were 15 and 15 back when they went 43 and 23 overall back in 2018 that year auburn went to a regional that was the regional out in raleigh they ended up taking that and then went to the super regionals and lost two out of three to florida and that's when their season ended that year was a whole lot more 
uh, in hand at that point. You then go to 2017, and Auburn that year went 16-14. and 14. So we've seen generally a, a, a slow progression here of Auburn losing more SEC games over these last couple of years. We've seen a slow progression in, the, in a negative trend in terms of SEC baseball record. And these teams were not high seeds when they made it to regionals. They were not. They were, you know, a two or a three seed, and they were not one of the higher up two seeds when they were seeded. So what I'm trying to explain to everybody right now in breaking down this schedule is that, yes, it may be early. I think there has been a little bit of a a narrative out there where people are saying, ah, it's not time to panic. Look, when we had Aaron Fit on before the season began and we were talking to him about the SEC schedule and teams dealing with injuries and how things can pile up and you could tack on some losses early and you can put yourself in a hole now. I think Auburn has found themselves in this hole with two straight season sweeps or series sweeps against SEC teams. That's not me talking bad about this Auburn team. They they have been one or two runs away from beating Kentucky in almost every game this series and then they were one or two runs away from taking two out of three against Ole Miss, right? Like, But we've seen this already. It's It's no longer just like at the beginning of the year after Auburn lost to Oklahoma and Boston College by a run apiece blowing the leads what was I saying I was saying the silver lining is if Auburn wins those two games we view this team tremendously different right but this Auburn baseball team it's no longer just those two games it is be it has become a trend yeah and it's not like you're at the beginning of the year you said oh wow these these could just be two like enigmatic like enigmatic performances like it could be things that aren't a precursor to what is expected out of this team you have a larger sample size now you know what this Auburn team has shown the propensity to do, and that is indicative of like points, like uh, games against, you know, Oklahoma, games against Boston College. We've seen this time and time again now, and it's you're able to sit here with certainty and say this is what this Auburn baseball team up to this point has been. This is who they are, and something will have to change for them to even get a sniff at some sort of invitation to the tournament like they're like or into any kind of postseason play you're not going to really get that if you keep playing the way you're playing right now and you're like it's going to take some heroics like, and it's, it's not a lot. impossible because it's not, alabama's one in five lsu's one in five auburn is not alone in the bottom of these sec standings missouri's one in five georgia's two and four texas a&m mississippi state both two and four it was fortunate for Auburn that six teams got yes. swept in the SEC this that's, weekend. That's the only thing that's holding them in right now is because other everybody teams, else, everybody else has struggled for the most part has struggled as well. So had a bad weekend, so it was a bad weekend for everybody. You know, everybody else on the opposite side of those sweeps, like everybody who got the sweep this weekend, they like they they also benefited because they weren't alone in getting swept. This but weekend. here's the thing. Auburn got their get-out-of-jail-free card this weekend because everybody else got swept. They all got put in the doghouse, too. Here's the thing, though. Those teams aren't dealing with some of the same issues that Auburn is right now, and you trust them with more favorable schedules than Auburn has because Auburn's got you know two top seven, top ten teams in college baseball coming up and having to go to Fayetteville this weekend. It's like it's not out of the realm of possibility that if Auburn doesn't pick themselves up and pick up the pieces and try and put something together, they get swept again. And then you're 0-9. Like, it is very finite margins at this point. So this Auburn team, I'm not trying to be so gloom and doom at the moment, but I'm also not going to sugarcoat it. The panic the panic button for me, it's been pushed. It's, it's You're <laughs> slamming the panic. Like, right now you are slamming that panic button I over and a, over. I know it's a 30-game season, but I just I just marked out the schedule for you. We and just the, saw and, what it is. Right, a couple minutes ago. Marked it out. It's hard to get those dubs back.
On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up on the line here, Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got about eight minutes left in the show and then coming up in 12 minutes, you got the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Still time to call, though, 334-321-1390. You can join us here on On the Line. But before we wrap up the second hour of the show and before we get out of here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Things are heating up on the two singing shows on network television this evening. At 7 on ABC, American Idol will see contestants battle for their spots in the top 24. Still at 7, but on NBC, the battle rounds begin on The Voice. Movie selections for tonight, Mission Impossible Fallout is on FX at 6. The Avengers try and reverse the actions of Thanos in Avengers Endgame. It runs from 4 to 8 on TNT. Following the movie, a new episode of Snowpiercer will be on. In live sports, the Elite Eight round of the NCAA tournament gets started tonight with two games. 12-seed Oregon State will take on two-seed Houston at 6.15 on CBS. Following it at approximately 9 o'clock, three-seed Arkansas and one-seed Baylor will play. The winners of the two games will play each other in the Final Four. Looking at the NBA schedule, two games are on NBA TV. At 6.30, it'll be the Pelicans at the Celtics, and at 9, the Bucks and the Clippers close out the night. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. We got about seven, six minutes left here in the show before we get out of here. We saw over the weekend Jeremiah Wright, who I thought was the leading candidate to usurp Tyrone Truesdale's location Mm -hmm. on the defensive line as the starter, suffered a torn ACL. How does this affect the Auburn defensive line moving forward? Sad news. I, I feel like the last... 20 minutes of this show have been really depressing because we talked about Auburn baseball and how I'm hitting the panic button with that one right now and then we also get into and I and I'm just being a realist with Auburn baseball we broke down the schedule and I was giving Auburn favorable results I was like all right two out of three here against Florida Georgia uh LSU here left and right I was like man this is going in a in a bad direction right now but this is this this is depressing too this hurts I mean it we we were hearing a lot of good things about Jeremiah Wright coming in and now you know, torn ACL is no joke. So it does look like Tyrone Truesdale will probably be the guy that steps up, and you just hope that he steps up in a meaningful way. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt anytime you have a guy who tears an ACL, you lose him off the team, especially a guy who we were hearing so many great things about. I just, it, it's it's unfortunate. Competition's man. a great it's thing, it's but sad. you hate to see when it results in oh, an injury yeah. like this, especially when the guy was actually seeing results from it at a rapid yeah. rate. And you wonder what that would have translated to on the football field in the fall when you've seen this rapid transformation of a player to be able to put himself in a position to start, and then he finally gets a chance to start. You would expect major results, right? And possibly even then when he gets on the field to see major transformation as well because you're getting in-game experience. But now we're not going to get to see that because of the ACL injury. And I think that this is a... I'm not going to say it's a substantial blow because Auburn, in a, in, a, in a way, they don't really know what they're missing, right? Because the guy never started for them on the defensive line. They never saw this guy in action. They never saw Jeremiah Wright become Jeremiah Riot, as we, were, as we were saying last week. They never got to see it. So I'm not going to say this is a substantial blow. Going into the spring, 
we thought this was Tyrone Truesdale's job. And, and if you had lot, said yeah. to us, if you had said to us three weeks ago, Jeremiah Wright at nose tackle, we would have been like, who? 100%. He came out of nowhere. So I'm not going to say that this is a substantial loss because we really only fell in love with him for a week right it was it it's was true. not going it was not going on for a super long time but how confident are we in tyrone truesdale now that he was the one losing his job and now he's got to find a way to take back his position without as much competition i, I don't know like was this more indicative we asked this question last week is this more indicative of jeremiah wright or is this more indicative of Tyrone Truesdale? And you and I were kind of 50-50. Like, is he, yeah, was it Tyrone Truesdale's inability to perform at the level that they want him to? So I think it was a little bit of that. Yeah, or was it Jeremiah Wright just coming out and being So I think it impressive? was some of that. Yeah, it was a little bit of both. So you're, Tyrone Truesdale is going to have to step up now. Like he absolutely has to step up in this role and become a leader of this team and provide meaningful minutes on the defensive line now that jeremiah wright's out of the picture when we did our depth chart series last week for the defensive line and you and i had lee hunter at the bottom of the nose tackle and the defensive tackle positions but you and i did say that auburn would have to get creative and they would get creative in the ways in which they got lee hunter on the field we still believe that he was going to get on the field well his role just increased yeah i say well i figured out where he's getting how he's going to be able to get on the field now i mean he's got a really good he has a good opportunity to make waves early in his career like he has some, re- he has a really good opportunity right here to just get. You hate in. that it comes this way, but you, again, the opportunity now is yes. there. Step up, next nobody's, man up. Nobody's ever going to cheer for injury, but for Lee Hunter, this is an opportunity for himself to showcase what he's about, why he has such a buzz around him coming into this, like coming onto Auburn's campus, and he's getting a job early just because it's unfortunate reasoning, unfortunate reasoning because of an injury. But I expect Lee Hunter to make make the most out of this opportunity and show Auburn fans what he has. It might not be right early on. It might be gradual. Remember, he's a young guy. We don't know what we're getting out of him. But you might see something, especially halfway through the season, you see a guy really start coming in because he's going to get a lot of playing time and experience to develop. He could end up becoming a monster. We've seen that in previous yeah. years with freshmen stepping on the field. Marlon Davidson had a great mm-hmm. freshman year. Carl Lawson had a great freshman year. There were several linemen back in, I think that was 2013 or 2014 that it was Carl Lawson's freshman year. I can't remember which. There were several freshmen that stepped on the field that year and had outstanding starts because they were playing beside guys where all the attention was on them, you know? So that happens. And this year's defensive line, the attention's going to be on wooden it's going to be on walker truesdale is going to be out there i don't know if the attention's per se going to be on it but it's the attention's going to be on other linemen some of these freshmen could just step out on the field and wreck because the attention's not on them nobody knows anything about them and then as teams begin to get more film then maybe their production will dip a little bit but they could have monster starts to the year because just the attention's not on them and teams aren't prepared for them as well as they may be prepared for other defensive linemen. So there is an opportunity here for Lee Hunter if he could get on the football field to do some good things. Something we touched on just for brief moments earlier on in the show as we're running out of time here. Vanderbilt dumping $300 million into a facilities investment project here. What that means, they're updating their football stadium, which I know opposing teams' fans, I made that joke earlier, are going to be happy about, but I know Vanderbilt fans will be happy as well. I don't know how much this moves the needle for the Vanderbilt fan base to improve, but it's got to help football recruiting when it sounds like a football-only facility is kind of coming to Nashville because the words they've used are football operations facility. 
So we're going to get some news about that tomorrow when Robbie Weinstein of Vanderbilt 24-7 joins us on the show. We're going to talk to him about that. We'll get some NCAA tournament thoughts as well from him. He's on the national desk also, so he's he's writing about a lot of things happening across the country in sports, and we're going to get a, a nice a nice smorgasbord of topics from him. We'll talk some SEC baseball as well. There's a lot of good things happening for Vanderbilt right now here in the spring in baseball. It's not just – it's how Vanderbilt relates to the rest of things going on in the SEC right now because that is some interesting news for me to see Vanderbilt investing that much money into their football program, but also the NCAA tournament stuff we'll be able to get from them as well. So we'll talk with him tomorrow. We'll also talk with Jason Caldwell tomorrow. we got two great guests lined up on On the Line, so be sure you join us again tomorrow afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. here on On the Line. That does it for Levi and I here on the show. We'll be back with you tomorrow. You know where to find us.